Hello and welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we sit down with our fellow guards, men and women, and talk about the latest news and information in the Washington National Guard. I'm Jason Kreiss. On today's show, Sarah Morris and I sit down with the commander of the 133rd Army Band, Chief Warrant Officer 3, Scott Pearson. He's been leading the band for more than 11 years now, and his love and commitment to them is just as high as the day he took command. You could really tell by the way he speaks so highly of them. And later on in the show, we talk with members of the 10th Civil Support Team about a real-world incident they were called out on. On November 5th, you may recall, a suspicious package was found at the Jefferson Building in Olympia. This came in the wake of a series of explosive devices that were sent to various high-profile individuals in five states last month. Local fire and state patrol were called to the scene along with the members of the 10th CST. So we thought it was an excellent opportunity to talk with those members who were dispatched to the scene so you can get a clear picture of what the CST does and how they are used as a first line of defense in cases of chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, and high yield explosive threats and events. These folks are truly dedicated to their job and love what they do. All right, with all that said, let's get on with the show. So could you just uh, let us know about the band, sort of like what your guys' mission is and what you guys do here at the Washington National Guard, um, since it's such a specific and unique mission? The band is kind of an exceptional unit in the Washington Army National Guard. Our, our job is to support the troops uh, at ceremonies and different types of events, also for community outreach and community relations. And we also do educational outreach missions as well. So our, our purpose is threefold. Um, and then we also get to serve as the ambassadors of the Washington Army National Guard to the citizens of the state of Washington. So it's, it's, it's a pretty amazing job and we get to go out and interact with the public on a regular basis. We get to interact with all of the different units within the state itself and then uh, with our educational mission, we get into high schools and middle schools and elementary schools really easy and carry again the the, the message of the Washington Army National Guard to, to everyone, so. Right, and then I was reading on your, um, your page on the website that you guys have sort of like a super large range in ages and abilities in the band, so can you get into that a little bit? I can. The band is a really diverse unit. It's, it's filled with a really unique skill set. I mean, people have to be able to play in order to become MOS qualified in the band, but the people in the band itself come from all different walks of life and do different things in the civilian world. I would say I've been in command of the band now for a little over 11 years, and when I took over the band, I was the only music educator in the band. And now about 25% of the unit is music educators that are out teaching public school in one form or another. Uh, we, we have people that fly from all over the country. We, uh, one of the people that just was retiring at the end of this month was the associate conductor at the New England Conservatory of Music wow. in Boston, which is a top five music school. Uh, we have one person who, who was a doctor of physical therapy in their civilian job and actually just took a direct commission. And so we actually just lost him to, to doing that. And so we have one of our soldiers is a superintendent of a school district in central Washington. So it, it, it's, it's really fascinating. We have firefighters, we have people that work for the IRS and the civilian jobs. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real amalgam of, of different talents that come together for the purpose of making music and going out and representing the National Guard. 
That's so cool. So, and like I was, I was telling you before, I played the clarinet, and I know lots of people play instrument in high school or, or middle school when you when you get to start. Do you have a lot of people who transition straight from high school into the band or attempt to go straight that way, or is it more like they've played an instrument in their civilian life and they're interested into getting into the band? So there, there technically is no education requirements to being in the band. You just have to be able to play at the level that's required uh, in order to be accepted. So they and, and they do. Um, so uh, as the bandmaster, it's my job to qualify uh, initial entries that want to come into the program. And so recruiters, if, if people identify themselves as wanting to be in the band, They'll usually contact my readiness NCO, Sergeant Collette, and and we'll set up a time for them to come play, and we'll we'll send them everything that they need to do um, beforehand so that they're not caught off guard. But it is it's not an easy audition, and fewer and fewer high school students are are able to make it. Although it's not completely out of the realm of of possibilities. In fact, I just had a high school student from from where I taught high school for the past twelve years that did pass the audition. And he went to basic training this summer. And so what we're finding is that a lot of people are brought in by the fact that they actually get to play. So that's where a lot of music educators, because you know when you're a music educator, you're busy teaching all the time. And you don't often get a chance to go out and play your own instrument. And so a lot of these people will come, and they're, they just want the opportunity to actually play their instrument and perform for people again, right. or, or whatever their motivation is for why they would yeah. join the Guard in the first place, So, which is also varied. So. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool to have a job where you get to play your instrument. I mean, Maybe. not a lot of musicians get paid to play, you know, all the time. So right? that's, that's kind of nice. Uh, you guys are getting ready for I, what I would assume is a pretty busy season for you with the holidays coming up. Other than the 4th of July, it is arguably our busiest season. Yes. So do you want to just tell everybody about um, your holiday concert season and the different sorts of places they can maybe see some members of your, of your band? So our, our major holiday performance is at the Auburn Performing Arts Center at Auburn High School on December 2nd at 2 p.m. Uh, the tickets are available, I believe, through the city of Auburn. Um, it's free, but it is encouraged to get a ticket because it's limited it normally seating. it's limited seating. I think the auditorium seats about 1,100. And because the event is so established, we've been doing it for as long as I've been a member of this band. And actually, it's how I found out about this band was when I was in the Air Guard band over in Spokane. I found out that the position I currently hold was open. And so then I transitioned from the Air Guard over to the Army Guard at after this concert that we did jointly wow. together. Okay. And so, yeah. so there are about 1,100 seats in the auditorium, um, and it, it is usually packed every year. So it's, it's, it's become a real highlight of the holiday season in that, in that area, so. Cool. Yeah. Is there anything um, that you think people should know about the band that they maybe don't? I think, you know, being in the band, it's, it's, we have such a unique opportunity, and it's different from being a typical a typical soldier like it's just you know we get to represent everybody that serves out in the public and and oftentimes we may be the only people in uniform those people will see and that they actually get to come and interact with and so I think that's one of the reasons why our job is so important now um, you know having an all-volunteer force and everything like we do 
people don't often get to see the military other than on TV and, and in various roles. And so we actually are the part of the military that they can, they can touch and we can, we can touch them as well and we can talk to them and interact with them and they can share their stories with us and, and we can share our story you know, as the Washington Army National Guard with the public because of that interaction that we have. And so I think you know, in, in my, the 24 years I've been a military musician, that part of the job always remains fresh for me and I, and I try to always remain cognizant of, of how critical uh, my mission is and the band's mission is in, in delivering the message of the soldiers and airmen of the Washington National Guard to the people of Washington. So. Awesome. Do you have any um, experiences uh, specifically of people like being, you know, just that stand out to you for the when, when you're at a concert and you're on stage? Um, I, I know a lot of people get up and dance when it comes to the rock band. You <laughs> it, know? It's true. And, you know, I think it just depends because we have so many different groups. Okay, so we have we have three different what are called music performance teams within the, the band hierarchy at large. And so we have... We have the brass band, uh, which which is a lot does a lot of ceremonies. But they also, if you've ever heard of the Young Blood Brass Band or or any of those types of groups, they perform that type of music. We have our Dixieland band, which does like New Orleans style jazz, uh, and we have our rock band, uh, which of course you know most people have seen at Lacey and Tune and all of the various different events that they play throughout the year. But with within that those three, we can actually form everybody together as the concert band, the marching band, um, the jazz band, and then there are even subsets within those ensembles. The brass quintet that you see around Camp Murray and around the state doing ceremonies comes from the brass band largely, and the jazz combo that quite often plays at, at all of the different balls for the National Guard. Uh, is part of the rock band and they do the governor's holiday parties and all of the the various different things and so so i think you know we we get to reach people on so many different levels i mean the rock band gets into high schools all the time and gets to interact with with high school students and the brass band does that as well and and a fair number of universities the the dixieland band played at the washington music educators association convention this past february and the western international band clinic uh, last November and so then again they got to engage with several thousand students and band directors of, of various different um, you know teaching levels and I think what's really great is when we actually get to interact with people that are veterans um, and you know and thank them for their service which we always do at every performance um, I think I think that's a, a critical role of ours I think one of the other things like you know, after the Oso Darrington mudslide four years ago now, hard to believe, but uh, the brass band actually got flown into the, the community on Blackhawks and did a performance for the community while the recovery effort that the National Guard, that the Washington National Guard was involved in. And, you know, the, the thankfulness of those, of the people, you know, that were involved, uh, you know, to my own soldiers and then to the National Guard at large, I thought was, was really fantastic. And so when you get to touch people's lives through music, it just, it, it makes everything you do so much more meaningful and you realize how, how consequential your job is and that you, you do actually get to affect people's opinions and, and you know, and, and show them 
how much you appreciate their support for what you do. And so I think that's, that's probably a big part of why I, why I love my job so much. So. We should have asked about the three different parts of the band. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't know there was three. Yeah. I, I knew, uh, I just knew about the, the rock band. We had a band, an army band, visit us when we were deployed, and that was really cool. They played, oh, nice. they played at one of our oh, yeah. NWR events. Oh, very awesome. Yeah. No, it's, it is such a cool job. Like I, I as I said, like I, I'm, I love to go out and, and interact with people and 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 bring them the tidings of the National Guard and remind them like what it is that their National Guard does on their behalf on a regular basis. You know, I mean, from all the disaster relief, the Cascadia Rising stuff. I, I mean, just constantly keeping them in that we're patriot, soldier, neighbor, and that we're we're there for them and that we're serving you know the citizens of the state always. So, I got a question. Okay, what? <laughs> kind of are you guys in any kind of competition with active duty like do you guys jockey for they do first yeah for for different like gigs strangely enough there there are washington because it's such a military heavy state because of the navy um the army and the air force being here we there are three three different bands just in the puget sound region the 133rd of the washington army national guard the first corps band and the navy band northwest there's also an army reserve band down in vancouver and then just across the river in portland oregon is the oregon national guard band the 234 right. and that's so a lot of bands it, it is a lot of bands. <laughs> do you guys ever get we, all together we, oh that's we actually <laughs> that's the dream we don't right? get all together necessarily in in that format but but we actually never overlap missions. It's really rare to wow. see more than one of us because it's also a really population-dense area. And, it's, and again, Washington being as big as it is, you know, we try to hit all of the different geographical regions of the state. And so we're not always you know, in one location or another. We're, we're pretty spread out as far as what we're able to cover. Um, we do actually get together with Navy Band Northwest um, and the First Corps Band. Uh, because we host the International Military Band Concert at the Washington Center for the Performing Arts in Olympia most years. And to the Naden Band of the Royal Canadian Navy from Victoria, British Columbia comes down for it. And so does the Band of the 15th Field Regiment of the Royal Canadian Army. Uh, they have a contingency that comes down. And then usually there are Marines from Camp Pendleton that will come up, as well as the Air Force Band of the Golden West from Travis. Okay. Um, and so we do a combined concert together That's on stage. Cool. And then each one of the, the commanders gets to conduct a segment of the program. And so again, it, it fosters international relationships with our, with our friends to the north, and then also our inner service relationships with our compatriots from, from various different military bands and services. So it's, it's very awesome. And we have a very special relationship uh, with the Band of the 15th Field Regiment up in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, we did a combined performance with them up in Vernon, British Columbia this summer for the, uh, the Okanagan military tattoo um, that we took part in this year. So again, fostering our state and provincial partnership right. that, we, that we have. So it's, it's, it's the, the job is, it's, it is an amazing job. So, and I'm glad that we get to be your ambassadors um, all over the place, so. We can tell you enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you speak so highly of it. <laughs> It sounds really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I was, cool. if I was musically inclined, I might be able to. <laughs> if it had been less than I don't know, eighteen years since I touched my clarinet, maybe I would. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I would come, come join the band. 
right. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. Washington is earthquake country. Are you prepared? Earthquakes can create a series of big waves called tsunamis. Do you know your evacuation routes or how long it takes for you to reach high ground safely? Learn how to protect yourself from a tsunami. Check with your local emergency manager or visit mil.wa.gov tsunami. Before disaster strikes, get two weeks ready. Make a plan. Build a kit. Become involved. Be a preparedness champion. So first of all, thank you guys for coming on the show. This is some really cool stuff. Um, can I get you to just um, say your name and and um, what unit you're in? Well, we all know what unit you're in. Major Wesley Watson uh, with the 10th Civil Support Team, science officer. So what does that mean? What does science officer mean? So on the team, we have a mobile laboratory. So my main function is to ensure that that laboratory is ready to rapidly deploy from Camp Murray to whatever location and then run a series of tests to identify various unknown materials that could be chemical or biological in nature. Cool. So, All right, go ahead. Uh, my name is Staff Sergeant Ian Crocker. I am also with the 10th CST, and I am the uh, Information Systems Analyst. Uh, so I am primarily all the computers that we have on the team, in the mobile lab, in our truck, um, in the operations section. Those all fall under our purview, so we have to make sure those are all up to date, as well as all the radio comms and satcom is working at all times. Cool. I'm Mr. Jones. I'm the survey section leader, and I'm the OIC of an eight soldier and airman downrange uh, CBRNE detection team. So we're, although everybody on the civil support team is a hazmat tech, my eight uh, service members are the primary hazmat techs that actually put on you know, protective equipment and go into a Ciberni hazard environment. And what is Ciberni? So chemical, <laughs> biological, radiological, nuclear, and high yield explosive. So the reason why we um, brought you guys in here today, one, we want to know what the CST does, what you guys are all about, but two, there was also something that happened in the news recently. Um, as of recording this, this is the 7th? 7th? 7th of 7th November. 7th of November, and on the 5th of November, um, there was an incident that happened. I'm going to read from the, uh, the news article that is, uh, was put out that day. About 10 a.m. on Monday, a package was discovered by a state worker going through the mail at 1500 Jefferson Building, which is the home to several state agencies. Um, the second floor of that building was evacuated. The Olympia Fire Department also responded to secure the building's HVAC system. Um, a state patrol SWAT team and the Washington National Guard's 10th Civil Support Team arrived to examine and retrieve the package. So if you guys would, um, you guys talk freely, um, w tell us about that day. I heard Mr. Jones is the first guy on the scene, right? Okay, sure, so it's me. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, most of our calls, uh, you know, sometimes they generate from the EOC, but most of our calls come from the relationships we build uh, in the, you know, the civilian community. Um, and uh, this day, Bill Steen of the Washington State Patrol, who is a, um, he is a SWAT and a lab entry guy with the Washington State Patrol, uh, has done a lot of different training events with us throughout the past. And uh, in fact, just last week was uh, training with us. Um, so he was the, he, he was the incident commander for the scene. Uh, and 
he immediately recognized that this was going to kind of go beyond some of their analytical capabilities in the field. And so he gave us a call, uh, put us on notice, and I live in Olympia and just happened to be in the area. So I went straight to the scene to link up with the incident commander and start uh, asking those early questions and making sure that the response package that we built and tailored for the incident made sense for what was happening on ground. So you were able to get an initial view and see what it, what the what you knew the rest of the team should bring? Correct. So then what happened next? So what happened next, uh, after um, you know, I was able to get some information uh, and kind of stay kind of topical because it's still an ongoing investigation, but after I was able to get some information about uh, what was going on and uh, you know, what they needed from us specifically, called back to um, the command team and to the science officer, uh, gave them all the pertinent positives, pertinent negatives that I had got at that time and uh, made recommendations about what a response pass package would look like. Command team uh, thumbs up, approved it, and sent four vehicles uh, to the scene to support the incident commander. And that's when you guys got there. Right. So uh, while he was uh, actively deployed quickly to the scene, talking with the incident commander, uh, the rest of us were spread quite a ways out. Um, that's the problem with you know uh, not getting a call during work hours. Right. But we rapidly got to uh, home station, started to get all of our equipment. Um, within an hour, we were able to communicate with Mr. Jones, get the pertinent information, get our vehicles uh, prepared, launch to the scene, uh, and then link up with the incident commander. By the time we got there, he'd already developed one of the initial entry plans, assessed, made critical decisions with the incident commander about securing the HVAC, uh, isolation of the immediate area, calling in local uh, response elements such as Department of Ecology, uh, increasing our perimeter security. So he was able to uh, uh, make those happen, those key decisions happen before we got there. Uh, so as soon as we were able to arrive on scene, we could immediately launch into our first entry. We'd already made key assessments. Um, so that's really what ends up happening. And all this ended up, ha uh, by the time we arrived on scene to the time we were making entry, uh, was within an hour and a half, so it was pretty rapid. Did anybody see the, the package? Who, who actually physically was there? Uh, so... Uh, I mean, for what you can talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yes, sir, um, but, you know, I, I think uh, at this time, without being able to run this past incident commander, I wouldn't feel comfortable yeah. uh, going into detail about it. Does this happen all the time with you guys, or does this happen rarely? More like often, like being called out to more frequently now uh, than in the past. Uh, most of our responses are now dealing with uh, you know, suspected white powders. Uh, fentanyl is usually the one that is scaring the local responders most frequently. So uh, synthetic opioid, so a lot of um, uh, packages that are be de being delivered from places like China, uh, shipped across the border from Canada, other locations. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, this material, if inhaled in a large enough quantity, can be highly dangerous to the first responders that are unseen. So, when they suspect that they have come in contact with this material, it automatically launches a hazmat response. Because we have already established our working relationships with all these local first responders, uh, fire department or uh, local law enforcement, 
they have they've learned to give us a call so that we can quickly go to the scene and assess the actual situation. So, yeah. Sergeant Crocker, what'd you do uh, on the, on Monday? Um, uh, I was just happened to be over here anyway on JBLM. Uh, got the call from my OIC and immediately came over to the unit, uh, started getting some equipment spun up, uh, started moving some equipment around since I knew we weren't taking all of our trucks. Uh, once we were actually on scene, uh, I fell into my backup role as a survey member as part of their backup team. So in case something did happen to the guys who were downrange, I could quickly throw my mask, finish suiting up, and go down to provide first aid and get that guy out of there, or woman out of there. Um, I ended up not needing me, so after we, our team came out of the hot zone and we're going through our decom process, I just fell in with our uh, PA and helped make sure that as these guys are coming off from the decom line that they were good to go uh, mentally and physically and just making sure everything, just the small details, ready to go. Then we just re redeploy back here and reset and refit. Within the restrictions of what we can talk about what do we have any idea what what was going on like what what was everybody uh, everybody is quick to to uh, ask that question and it's to it totally makes sense because that's the interesting that's the interesting part of our our mission uh, it's probably for the purpose of this forum it's probably most important to put out there that what we do as a team is we don't uh, necessarily always tell you hundred percent everything that it is but we do tell you what it's not and so the important uh, assessments that uh, you know we were able to do for the incident commanders, we were quickly able to rule out a biological threat. We were quickly able to rule out an atmospheric threat and a like inhalational hazard to the people that were present. And so uh, I don't, well, we can't uh, say what our analysis ended up coming back as like definitively right now, just because it's uh, not the right time. But we can say that we did rule out biological hazards. We ruled out. Uh, chemical warfare agent hazards and uh, atmospheric, like inhalational hazards and radiological hazards. And then, is that, sir, what you sort of do as as a science officer? Right. That, so it's a joint uh, uh, mission. Right. So uh, Mr. Jones has the survey downrange operations. His guys have very sophisticated detection equipment. So for like the atmospheric, atmospheric, and, and then yeah, also direct chemical testing. Right. So uh, while they were on site um, at the target, they were actually able to take the materials that were of concern and then run a series of tests to rule out some biological threats and then also to start collecting information on what this chemical or substance might uh, be. So by the time I had received that uh, um, substance at the end of the decon line, uh, I already had a uh, lower probability that this is a threat to the general public. But my main job at that point was to receive the sample uh, and transport it back to Camp Murray, where I had our mobile laboratory at that time. And then I ran a series of additional tests just to further be clear that there was no public health threat that we could identify at that point. Uh, the information that we were able to collect within the first two hours of re having that sample back at Camp Murray at the lab, we were able to relay that and get it back to the incident commander. And then the positive side of that is we then could communicate with places, uh, other entities such as public health, um, the facility manager for that site so that they could reoccupy uh, those uh, areas 
put the minds at ease of the individuals that could have been uh, potentially exposed to something harmful uh, and get people back to work. So take a moment to just talk about the CST's mission in general. Like what, uh, what other missions do you guys do besides uh, respond to these events? So uh, we do a couple uh, really big, uh, I don't, really big topics, I just want to call them. Uh, we'll do a lot of outreach and training with other first responders across the state. Uh, since the CST is a state asset, we are focused more on um, who we have here that we can support. So we'll go out to the east side of the state to like Spokane, go out to the Olympic Peninsula, and we'll just go talk to their firefighters, their law enforcement, and constantly just reminding them, hey, this is who we are, this is what we do, this is what we bring to the fight, and this is how you get a hold of us. We also put out trainings for them. So uh, later on this month, we're doing a joint training with uh, Lacey Fire Department uh, for an unknown lab process. And it's just so that way the, we can, we as a CST can have some more time in suit to practice what we are constantly doing, but also so Lacey Fire can see us doing what we do and be more, better, more confident on how we can uh, respond. Uh, another really big thing is our JHAT missions, the Joint Hazardous Assessment Teams. Uh, we can be requested uh, to come in and fall in with like either the fire department or law enforcement for large events. So Seahawks missions, um, some really big uh, high visibility seasonal events. Super so Bowls. Salmon Days, <laughs> Super Bowl. Um, we've done the, when the PJ Tour came out here, uh, we were out there with that. For the papal visit, we assisted with that. Um, Please help me out if I'm missing anything major. You guys yeah. traveled across country too. Well, yeah, we, we've done, uh, since I've been on this team, the last two presidential inaugurations. Yes, uh, that's right. I yep. was, I so yeah. been out there working with, uh, can't remember the exact number, but a lot of other teams from around the nation. Um, so providing mainly in this uh, regard, radiological uh, monitoring, um, portal security. So. Uh, working a lot with our Department of Energy uh, counterparts and, and assisting them. Um, trying to think some of the more recent events. We've also done a lot of the uh, Boston Marathon and Fourth of July and various events, just depending on who, uh, who is out there that uh, is requesting additional civil support uh, assets. So what's it like in the suit? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, <laughs> So in the in a level A suit, it's yeah. it's very hot. Mm -hmm. uh, you become very acquainted with how you smell when you take it off, mm -hmm. and uh, it's you know um, two layers of glass you're looking through, uh, pretty fogged up, low dexterity. It's like wearing a giant uh, trash bag uh, on you. It just sounds so appealing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And great. and you guys want to do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, why? Why? Well, uh, <laughs> because, I mean, it's, it's an interesting mission, it's a fluid mission, it's dynamic, and not a lot of people get to do it. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a niche mission that's very rewarding to provide a service to, uh, you know, the citizens of the state. The, the first responder community, has a, there's a lot of hazmat techs out there. And they do uh, really good work with the 90% solution, but it's that um, it's that small it's that small uh, you know it's that capability gap that small capability gap that we fill 
that it just wouldn't make sense for a hazmat tech, firefighter hazmat tech, uh, law enforcement person to spend too much time focusing on training too. So we fill a capability gap for a wide range of agencies, a wide range of civilian partners, and it's, uh, it feels good and it's rewarding to do something that's needed. What's the longest anybody has ever spent in, inside the suit on a mission, training or real world or otherwise? For us, well, so th there's two ways you can be in a suit. We have rebreathers, and so you can spend an unreasonable amount of time in a suit on a rebreather. Like, they say up to five hours. That is not safe, and we don't do that. But on one, <laughs> on one, single, on one single SCBA tank, so that's a self-contained breathing apparatus, like, uh, like you see firemen wearing, right? Or like a scuba diver wears. They just add a U for underwater. Uh, on one bottle, we have gone uh, one time, three individuals went over the two-hour mark uh, in a suit. They must be bottle. slow breathers. They were standing still do, just packaging <laughs> a lot of samples into yeah. little jars, so not a lot of movement. Right. And uh, they were small individuals. Yeah. Because on the scuba dive, it's like you want to know like who's going to take the fewest breaths because they're going to have the extra, they're going to have right. the extra air. Yeah, uh, you can definitely last longer than you uh, on our bottles than uh, on a scuba dive, just because um, you're not moving that much. Cool. Uh, well, how like with this response? I mean, is that the normal time frame that you shoot for? Like, where did you guys get like some lessons learned from it? Is that what you're shooting for every time you get a real world response and then you incorporate that into like the training that's coming up that you guys have? Every, every mission is unique. Right. Um, uh, a lot of, there's so many unknowns. We, uh, in this case, we had people spread out across the state all the way from Pullman uh, up in Seattle um, and then some right near the site at Olympia. So uh, it really just depends. But our goal is to get the call get assets back to the unit and deploy out that door within a 90 minute time frame. Um, and really we, we can gear the equipment package, the personnel package to be what is necessary to accomplish that mission. So our goal is to get there obviously as fast as possible. A lot of that is dictated to by uh, working with the on-scene command law enforcement to, to find out how how, uh, how much of an emergency is this? A lot of times what ends up happening is we get the call, um, we just get early notification to let us know that there could potentially be a CVERN issue. Um, and then we're actually able to forward deploy before uh, there is an issue that comes up. On other ones like this last one, that's a no notice. Um, we understood that we were gonna get there and then it was gonna take some time to assess the situation with all of our counterparts. So that, that seems to really be the longer part, not necessarily just getting to the scene, but getting all of the key partners that are working together. Um, in some of these instances, we've had upwards of 20 different agencies working together to accomplish this one goal of ensuring the safety of the responders and the general public. Yeah, Our take, uh, the big takeaway from this mission is uh, when you ask, like, is it, was it, is it typical? It's, it is kind of like the new typical. Um, what do you so, mean by that? So we've, uh, you know, we've established a practice over the last uh, year especially, uh, several responses of creating kind of a uh, battle drill response and uh, the, the concept being, you know, we, we make sure we give the instant commander everything they need, uh, but um, the, the idea is that we get there fast, start making assessments 
fast and they're getting uh, they're getting an IRT, they're getting a liaison like as close to um, the time they get the call as possible. And then the follow-on body is a small, light package custom tailored to the event, not this, uh, not like a one-size-fits-all. You call you're the CST, you get the CST. You're not bringing everybody, you're bringing you right. who you need. Yep, yeah. and, uh, and it, it's definitely been well-received by the first responder community, and it's making a lot of sense for us uh, and making responses smarter and more efficient. <laughs> All right. Nice. Anything else? I don't think so. You guys have anything else? Wow, thank no. you. It's been very informative. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm glad that there's people out there that do the things that you guys do. I mean, it's keeping our keeping our community safe, and, and it's very, very much appreciated. Thank you. Well, thanks thank for having you. us. Thank you. So to wrap this up, I wanted to take a moment to remind everybody that you can get additional information on the people and the units that we talk to in the show notes. So... Don't forget to check the show notes for links to articles and to social media. For example, this episode, we have the 133rd Army Band, which has their own uh, Facebook page, and you can get information on upcoming concerts and events there at their Facebook page. So be sure to check the show notes. And we also have a link to the article that was referenced in the 10th Civil Support Team interview. So that is there as well. And you can read additional information about what happened during their recent call-up. Also, this podcast is going to drop the week of Thanksgiving. So we here at the Public Affairs Office want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Certainly, we all have something to be thankful for. And it's important to take a few minutes and reflect on all that we're thankful for. So we wish you a very happy Thanksgiving and... Hope you have a safe and enjoyable holiday. Mm-hmm.